Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're traveling to Marietta, Georgia, where the locals give directions in relation to the big chicken. Our guest is Bill Nowicki, the host of the Marietta Stories podcast that interviews citizens of his town to learn their stories. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Marietta. Let's start the show. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Now, I avoid renting cars as much as possible when I travel, but sometimes you just need a car for a few hours. That's where a zip car comes in. You can rent their cars by the hour or by the day, and both gas and insurance are included in one flat rate. Use our link to join at wetravelthere.com forward slash Zipcar to start out with $25 worth of credits in your bank. Hey, everybody. So we have Bill Nowicki here from uh, Marietta Stories, uh, the podcast. And let's get started talking about Marietta. So why uh, are you in Marietta? Oh, I came here for a job about six and a half years ago, and I just fell in love with the place. And there's just so many cool things about it that I just decided to uh, settle down here in Marietta. I think it's one of those things where it has a that small town feel that you really like, mm-hmm. but it's close enough to the bigger city where you get the kind of the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Yep. We use Atlanta Airport to get here, and then uh, once you're here, you you can hang out the whole time. You don't have to leave. What would you say is the one word that would describe Marietta in your in your eyes? Community. I think that's kind of the basis for your whole show, right? Yeah. When I started interviewing people or just talking to people around town, I found that there's really cool things going on, not just from a strategic town type standpoint, but from the folks that just live here and make things work. And I met so many cool people. I know. I I just moved to a small town myself uh, just outside of Nashville. And Mm. I think I'm kind of in the same boat you are. It's a lot of small town feel when you want it on a day-to-day basis, but Whenever you want that big city and some of the higher end big city things, it's right there. You mm-hmm. short drive away. Absolutely. So let's talk about Marietta as far as like what's the best time if if a traveler is thinking about going to, to visit, what's the best time that they should visit your town? Yeah, I love the spring and the fall. I think that time of year it's a little bit less uh, hot and humid uh, for folks and kids are back to school or in school and it's just a nice time to be around. I know that just in some of the research that I've done, that there are certain festivals and, and community events that go on throughout the year. Yes. So for your listeners, the Marietta Square is kind of the center, the heart of the city. And it's a, a square with restaurants and different businesses around the outside. And in the middle, there's like a green space with huge trees. And there's a big fountain right in the middle of uh, the square. And there's a little like uh, choo-choo train thing for the kids to play on. And that's kind of the central place. And and some festivals we have is Taste of Marietta, which brings in like 95,000 people approximately. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's huge. And it's it lines. So we shut down the entire square for from cars and then line the whole uh, square, the outside of the green area and the roads with vendors and booths. And you get to try all the different uh, restaurants. And then a winner for best of Marietta barbecue and have different categories you can win. Yeah, that's always a huge hit. And the other thing that I really love is Chalktoberfest. And it's, uh, it began from the 
Merida Cobb Museum of Art, and it's really exploded. But we bring in people uh, from all over the world. Like I think there was like six countries last year, but they do like uh, chalk art. There's different themes like I don't know what it is this coming year, but there's different themes. So the artists will come in and just create the thing out of chalk and hope it doesn't rain. (laughs) And there's also like a thing for kids. There's an area set up for kids and they have their own little contest. So it's a really family friendly, cool thing. And it, you know, it's incredible art just produced in, in like a day or two. And you can go up and talk to the artists and they'll tell you what, you know, how they got started and, it's one of my favorite festivals. Then in the Chalktober Fest, they have a beer garden with local breweries, and they uh, it's a fundraiser for the museum. So it's it's a great great thing to come see, and I highly recommend that one. It's my favorite uh, festival. So it sounds like a win win for everybody, right? The people that are attending, they're getting you know some great beer, meeting some great artists, uh, enjoying some you know the crisp, cool mm-hmm. uh, fall air. And then on top of that, it's benefiting the museums that are preserving the history of of the town. Yeah. And I had uh, the director of the museum on the show, and you can tell she just gets it. She's very sharp and and knows how to bring people around, and and she's really building the community through through art. And they have a great little museum there, too. It's in the old uh, library building that's uh, been transformed to an art gallery. It's pretty cool. When the artists are drawing, are they, so they're just drawing on the sidewalk, or where mm-hmm. where is their art actually at? No, actually on the asphalt. And they have a little section; they're all cut up into different sections, and uh, they have a sketch or whatever. And they lay out grids and things like that, and they have a sketch from a smaller thing, and then they refer to that. But then they, you know, expand it out. So it's probably uh, twenty by twenty. I mean, they're pretty big. Oh, wow. It's, yeah, it's really cool. And you know what's interesting? I, I talked about community, and they, I asked uh, one of the artists, I said, uh, how do you think this festival compares to other ones you've gone to? And she goes, it's the best. People come up, and they, they feed you, and they see if you need water. And it's just that, uh, I would say, southern hospitality that brings people and artists back each year. And, I, and every year it gets bigger and bigger. Well, you love to see when the when the local community embraces the artists like that and makes them obviously they're they're feeling a lot better and and I'm sure it inspires them to do even better work. Uh, they're going to do great work anyways. But when you have that that backing of the community in that way, I'm sure it just inspires you to to create that much better. Yeah, absolutely. So when we were talking earlier about about all the different food that's in the square and and in your town, uh, what are some of the places that you really like to eat? Yeah, there's a place, it's a little bit off the beaten path, not not around the square. It's about a mile from the square, just west. It's called uh, Hoboken Cafe. And I met the owner, uh, Johnny Pizza, his name is. Of course, he's from Hoboken. <laughs> it's like a caricature. But actually, yeah. he was in uh, Family Guy. Oh. Seth MacFarlane made him into a caricature for, the, for his <laughs> show. But anyway... But he's just this larger-than-life guy, and he grew up in Hoboken, and he started driving limousines for different uh, celebrities, and he ended up driving for, um, drove Frank Sinatra a few times, Henny Youngman, those type of folks. And he has the wall lined with pictures with him with various celebrities and, you know, autographs, and he he's just in amongst all those celebrities. But the reason I love going there is he... 
he makes everything like he would have in, in Hoboken. Like he, he has a baker that makes the bread from his recipe and it's made fresh daily, brought to the store. He makes mozzarella cheese fresh every day, he gets there at 9.30. So it's ready to go every day. You know, only the best ingredients, boar's head uh, meats. And I go there, I, I would say about once a week, but he's always has a story and the food is great. It's, you're going to pay more than Subway, but it's definitely worth it. Well, that sounds absolutely delicious. Yeah, it is. So like when you're describing the owner, all I can picture in my head is uh, my cousin Vinny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a pretty large guy too, you know, he's, but he's a, he's a great guy. I mean, he's got like a table set up where it says, uh, this is this person's table, this person's booth. And because oh, cool. uh, people come in. Yeah. He... I mean, he talks about Hoboken, what it was like growing up. And at lunchtime, when he was in school, he used to go to different restaurants around town. They'd feature different things, like Tuesday was eggplant Parmesan day, and people would get in line, and if it ran out, that was it. You know, it's this whole culture of food and where to get great food. And I want to tell you that like, he makes this tomato sauce. I don't know how he does it. Man, that stuff's good. It's like... <laughs> yeah, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, get some mouth-watering a- action going on over here too. Mm. So uh, speaking of food and maybe kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, I was looking at uh, the Marietta website and I saw something called the Big Chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I don't know when it started, but it, it was before Kentucky Fried Chicken bought it, but there was a large chicken it's just on the main drag coming into town from the uh, east and it's a large chicken that's its eyes move around it turns the eyes turn around so it looks like it's rolling its eyes and then the beak moves up and down it goes 24 7 and it's probably i don't know 60 feet high but people use it as a landmark. So they say, oh, I'm just east of the big chicken or west of the big chicken. Everybody in town <laughs> knows what they're talking about. But yeah, it's a kind of an icon. And in fact, they were going to tear it down in the 80s because it started falling apart. But a bunch of people got up in arms and get a fun to get it fixed up. And now it looks great. And it, I think it's got its own Instagram and everything else. <laughs> you know how yeah, that is. I was reading that it's the food itself isn't anything special. It's basically mm-hmm. just the KFC, right? Right. But it's just the iconic structure and that it's been around for, I think I, I read that it was built in the 1950s. Yes. And the owners, the I think it was two brothers, they did that as like a marketing ploy to make sure that their building stood out from everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's just cool hearing all that history. In some ways, it's a little sad that it's just a, a random you know, fast food joint now versus something that maybe from like a mom and pop type of shop, would, which have right. much more love and, and feeling in the food. When we're talking about other types of food, I was looking through the, the Marietta website again, and I saw a couple hamburger places that just looked absolutely delicious. And I'm not sure if, if you have an opinion on either one of these two, but I want to hear what you had to say. So one was called the WR Social House, mm-hmm. and then the other one is Stockyard Burger. Yeah, I love Stockyard. I don't think that the Social House, I think, is open just for lunch. I haven't gotten a chance to go there, but okay. the- uh, Stockyard Burgers is excellent. And it's, I know the owners, they have a, quite a few restaurants in town. Okay. Stockyard Burgers has the best burgers pretty much anywhere. And I, I go there 
like I don't like to eat a lot of beef just because of my age and everything else. But uh, when I do, I go to Stockyard Burgers and get something. They also have pretty good uh, cocktails and and uh, libations there, too. There you go. Right on. So we were talking earlier about the square of Marietta, and that's kind of where the center of all the action is in the town. One thing I was reading is that there are they're organized and also self-guided tours that basically uh, for travelers to be able to experience the, the history and the culture of the town. Mm-hmm. Are there certain tours that you would recommend over others? Yeah, I love the Marietta food tour. I've taken that a few times. It really gives you a lot more insight into what's going on in these restaurants and why people got into the restaurant business. Because as you know, they're real tough business to try to get into. But yeah. uh, I love that one. And then there's a ghost tour that's done. And uh, especially around the Halloween time, it's great. They give you all these ghost stories because I don't know if folks know this, but uh, Marietta, there was a battle, uh, Kennesaw Mountain. So uh, Sherman's troops headed down from the north, from uh, Chattanooga area. They followed the railroad down. And the rail the rail line still passes right through town. So that's part of my uh, podcast uh, intro, you know, because it's it's something you can't avoid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Sherman followed the rail line so he could get supplies for these, you know, hundreds of thousands of troops. And there was a battle. There's a a mountain in town about a mile from the square, and there was a battle there, and then the rebels – you know, kind of gave up the land and and fell back toward Atlanta and gave up the city. So the uh, city of Marietta was uh, occupied by Union troops in uh, 1864, June 1864. And there's all kinds of stories about that. I mean, the the church that I go to, St. James Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church, were used as hospitals. Uh, There's still bloodstains in the uh, wood at the Presbyterian Church. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It's very intense. So the Confederate hospitals were immediately made into uh, Union hospitals when they took over the town. And it's really intense history that went on. And there's the Georgia Military Institute, which is where the Hilton is now. But that was burned when Sherman left. But yeah, it was never restarted. They they tried to, but they, during Reconstruction, they didn't have the money. So now it's a Hilton and a golf course. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, there's some really cool stuff around yeah, history. I was looking, there's the, the historical tours from the battlefields, uh, both self-guided and guided tours. Uh, that, yeah. Like the ghost tour that you mentioned uh, seems really cool. Like you said, especially during like the Halloween time, get a little spooky. Also, the Gone with the Wind Museum is there as well, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I did a special episode on that, and it's really cool. And this is something you would never think about, but they have like the dresses, a lot of the uh, newspaper clippings from the 30s, and the the guy that owns all that collection basically loans it out to Marietta to create this museum. But I was there, uh, Julian's Auction House brought a bunch of jewelry from that movie to Marietta to be shown in that museum. So... I didn't think about this, but it's fascinating to me, is it's all costume jewelry. So all the jewelry that all the actresses wore were costume. And the reason is, with those bright lights and the cameras of the time, if you had any kind of reflection, it would it would reflect back into the camera and mess up the shot. So the guy that created it made this kind of resin stuff that 
was dull and it didn't reflect, but it looks really cool under bright light. So the guy like perfected this <laughs> costume jewelry into uh, things that can be used in those movies. But it was really cool. I mean, I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah, no, that sounds interesting because, yeah, it's one of those things. If you showed up with uh, to your wife and, and brought her one of those, she would probably pound you over the head because it's so dull, you know. But the brilliance that you want in that diamond engagement ring, like you said, would have just probably just ruined whatever yeah. shot they were trying to do in, in the movie. So yeah, that's a cool piece of uh, piece of history that I, I yeah. have no idea about that with the cinematography. So for people who are going to travel to Marietta, uh, I guess one of the things that at the visitor center. If you want to attend some of these museums, they have the Marietta Heritage Passport, which gives like a huge discount uh, yes. if you want to attend those museums. Right. Yeah. And I think there's three or four of them included in that. And uh, the one museum that I really love is called the Rood House, and it's owned actually by Cobb Landmarks. It's a private nonprofit, but they have the coolest displays where they have an outdoor kitchen and you know, back in the day, especially in the South, they didn't want to have a kitchen attached to the house because one, it's really hot, but two, if it caught on fire, which kitchens did quite often, it would burn the house down. So they, they could deal with burning down the kitchen, but it has it set up. They have outhouses. They're bringing in a slave cabin because there was uh, enslaved people at the root house. And what I love about it, it's not the story of a rich like Jefferson Davis or someone like that. It's the story of uh, the Root family, and they own like a pharmacy general store type thing. Okay. Uh, so it's like middle income, uh, upper to middle income uh, people, and they have all kinds of stories about what it was like before the Civil War. And, of course, they fled when the battles got close. And then what they think happened is like uh, the surgeons that were operating right up the street at churches that were used as hospitals, they would retire to the root house and, and sleep and, and, you know, kind of live there. So, but they're wow. still finding out so much about what it was like back then, but it's really cool. Cause I, I can really identify with somebody that's more, you know, middle income versus somebody that was rich and, you know, all that. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, that sounds like there's so much to do in, in Marietta and so much history to explore and mm -hmm. we're going to have all this that we talked about and more in the show notes talking about everything. So it's time for the final countdown. And so I just want to ask you four last questions. What's the best food in the city? Okay, Spring Restaurant. Uh, it was opened two years ago by a guy named Brian So. I had him on the show, but he got top 20 new restaurants in the country, according to Bon Appetit. And it's oh, wow. not only so tasty, but it's beautiful too. I mean, it's it's like you don't even want to eat it. It's so pretty, but <laughs> but it's just, well, uh, it's really cool. Like it's an old cotton warehouse. It's not very big. It's very intimate, but I, I just love that food. So if somebody was going to order food from there, what meal would they, should they order? Right. Well, it changes. It changes all the time because it's based on what he can get. Oh. Like I got a piece of flounder there or whatever's, you know, in season. Like he'll go to the farmer's market which is number one in atlanta greater atlanta area by the way and he'll pick up whatever vegetables that are there he'll change the menu up put it out there and uh, it's amazing I, I don't know how he does it but it's almost like he's an artist with food you know he <laughs> figures out ways to do it but yeah it changes all the time and my, my wife's a total foodie so I, I know when we come visit we're gonna have to go there for sure absolutely 
It's not far. What's a memorable story that you can share with the uh, with the listeners, so that way they get a little bit more of a feel for why you love the city so much? Yeah, and I brought it up in the beginning, but this lady Beverly McAfee, she's uh, just a real spark plug. I mean, she's something else. She's <laughs> almost eighty now, but uh, I just interviewed her. I think, uh, gosh, probably two or three weeks ago, and her and I just published her episode. But she tells this story. First United Methodist Church is on the corner of uh, Whitlock Avenue in the 120 Loop, and they have a whole bunch of green space around their church, and that wasn't always the case. They used to have a chain link fence, and they had the land, but they didn't do anything with it. Well, they had their 150th anniversary coming up, so they asked her to kind of put together a plan to uh, improve that area. So she thought, well, I'll bring in a cabin and blah, 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 like they had back when they first started church. So she was going ahead with the plan. She says, well, you know, you skip the finance committee, you have to go to the finance committee. So that's what she did. She went in front of the finance committee and the chairperson said, you know, Beverly, we have an issue with uh, your plan. What are you gonna do with the chain link fence? Well, she goes, I'm gonna take it down and create a park. And she goes, well, we have a concern about that. We don't want homeless people hanging out in that park. You know, there are some homeless in town. She goes, okay, you know, I read a lot of the Bible and the scripture. And she goes, I'm trying to figure out what was Jesus's address? You know, Main Street in Nazareth, would you say? You know, in fact, I'm thinking that he would be considered homeless today. And uh, what I love about that story is it kind of transforms the whole argument. Like me and probably 99% of the population, they would get upset, but she kind of turned it back on them and said, hey, what was this church all about? And I love people like that that kind of <laughs> make things happen and they do it for the right reasons and they care about the community. It just makes me feel good that I live in a place where Beverly <laughs> McAfee lives in, you know? Yeah, she sounds so smart. And like, like you said, just being able to turn it around on them, that's awesome. What would you say the happiest happy hour is in town? Two Birds Tap House. It's only been out a couple of years, but they've expanded it and they have the best cocktails. They have some pretty cool bar food and it's well done. I recommend folks go there and it's always crowded. I don't care what day of the week it is. Is there a signature drink that somebody should order there? Or Oh gosh, I'm not a big drinker. Believe it or not, I drank a lot in the Navy. I don't drink anymore, but there's, yeah, there's quite a lot of really cool cocktails. Uh, in fact, uh, the Marietta Theater Company has their own cocktail. I can't remember, <laughs> but they have like a signature cocktail for them that they come in. Uh, I would order that. It sounded pretty good. I can't remember what all the ingredients were, but it's pretty cool that what they do. And it's real, it's a family owned place. That sounds good. And so mm-hmm. pairing that with uh, the thing I love to eat the most. And whenever I travel, I try to uh, you know eat a pepperoni pizza wherever I go uh, just to try them all yep. out. So what's the best place to get a, a pizza in, in town? Yeah, Marietta Pizza Company, which is right down from Two Birds Tap House, and it's got outdoor seating. You get to see people. It's right across from that green space I was telling you about on the square, and it's a big hangout for families, and, you know, there's a dog-friendly town, too, so you can sit outside and have a pizza and, and sit with your dog and just people watch. Oh, uh, yeah, I... Sometimes I'd rather hang out and and pet a dog than talk to some people, you know, so (laughs) the dog's always going to be cool with you, but sometimes people give a little attitude, right? So not Marietta, not Marietta. Oh, that's good folks. That sounds great. In closing, you know, I I just want to say thank you, Bill, for being on the podcast. I love 
being able to learn more about Marietta and try to encourage people to visit. You know, we really thank you for sharing some of your local tips and tricks on having a better experience in town. So with that, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and everything that you do? Yeah, Marietta Stories Podcast. It's MarietaStories.com. It's, if anybody wants to email me, it's Bill at MarietaStories.com. I have like 87 episodes out there, but basically I just find cool people. It's the best thing because I just find people I want to interview and just talk to them. But uh, I talk about history sometimes, talk about businesses, and and it's just been such a great journey for me to be able to uh, establish relationships with people in town and meet different people, and it's been a load of fun. That sounds great. Are you, are you, are you primarily interviewing locals or tourists that are traveling through or a combination? No, it's it's all locals. Okay. So if you want to be on Bill's podcast, you got to move to Marietta, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might catch you. I did one in the uh, farmer's market where I just talked to a few folks walking by. Okay. But, yeah, okay. Maybe I'll do a special episode if I get enough uh, folks that want to be on. And I would love to uh, pick their brains about what they love about Marietta. There you go. Well, thank you very much, Bill. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And we look forward to having more people come visit Marietta. Great. I would love that. And I appreciate you having me. I just love that Bill is making it his goal to interview all the good people of Marietta. I listened to a couple episodes of Marietta Stories, and the people are just so interesting. It's so much fun to explore cities like Marietta that have such a strong history. And when there's good food and friendly people, it makes the trip so much more enjoyable. So what's your favorite thing you learned about Marietta? Please let us know in the show notes at wetravelthere.com forward slash Marietta, or Join us in our Facebook community at We Travel There Podcast Community. Join us in the next episode about Hong Kong, where Sarah Lee Kane of Beyond the Dollar tells us about the largest light and sound show in the world. We hope you join us when we travel there. If you'd like to listen to more podcasts about travel, I suggest checking out my good friend Ed Pizza's show called Miles to Go. Ed and his guests break down the latest travel news with a focus on credit card rewards and loyalty programs in his weekly 30-minute show. Let me know what you think.